0: Before I begin this morning. Today is Veterans Day, and I just want to take a moment to recognize and honor those who have served us. It's something that my generation just simply doesn't understand what three generations ago uh, and some others who maybe even be here with us today experienced as far as serving our country, being drafted into doing that in some cases, voluntarily in others. But I just want to s- s- express my appreciation to. Our veterans, if you're so kind enough to do this, would you stand and let us recognize you this morning and express our appreciation to you? Thank you. Thank you. Well, we are going to conclude today a series that uh, we began a few weeks ago called God Never Said That. Common sayings that many people believe to be true, but in reality they're things that God never said. Some you may have been challenged by over the past few weeks. You may have caught yourself at some point or another saying, chin up! God will never give you more than you can handle. Or perhaps justified something in your life saying that God just wants you to, to be happy, therefore, you can do this thing or have this thing or say this thing or whatever it might be. We're always at danger of putting words into God's mouths and we build ourselves this feel good theology. A feel good theology that makes us comfortable. Never more, this is never more apparent than it is at a funeral. If you go to a funeral for somebody, oftentimes we build up a person's life. And that person was far from the Lord, but we preached them into heaven. As pastors, we have a tendency to do that. Because it's hard. What do you do when somebody's lived like hell all their life? What do you say at their funeral? How do you talk about it? I remember there was a lady in, um, in my congregation. Well, I shouldn't even say my congregation. I guess it kind of was. Anyway, I was like 13. Her name was Wanda. I was a kid. And there she was. She was a part of our church. That's what I'm trying to say. And Wanda had an abusive father. An abusive father who was terrible to her and was far from the Lord. And he passed away. And some people would give her those words. Well, he's in a better place now. And I wonder, really? Why are we saying that? Is that? Could that be true? I mean, only the Lord absolutely knows for certain where his heart was but is that the right thing to say there are often times when we'll say something like this well you know this person that i love they're in heaven now and they're looking down on me well i hope they're not looking down on me all the time because there's some times i'd rather them not be looking down on me you know what i mean there's like times like no i did close that heavenly window pull the curtains Don't look down right now. I'm in the bathroom, whatever it might be. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about another one of those things that you may not have said personally. And my guess is that the majority of you who are gathered here today would never say this thing. But there may be some who have or who are thinking about this. And even if you've never said these things or had this thought before, the world around us is saying... This statement. The world around us is putting this message in God's mouth. Here's what it is. If you've got your bulletins, I want you to grab them out so you can make some good notes today. It doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're being sincere. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in that what you believe as long as your heart is hoping for that and leaning on that, as long as you're sincerely pursuing something, then it doesn't matter what you believe because everything can lead to God. And quite honestly, that sounds really good. It kind of feels good to think that God is so big and so loving that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as your heart is sincere about it then the chances are, in the scope of eternity, you're going to be okay. But the fact is that just because it makes us feel good to say something doesn't make that thing true. It doesn't make that thing true. And that's the big issue for today. Truth. Truth. Is there something that we could call capital T, truth? You see, there's a lot of lowercase t truths, truths in the world, but is there something that is absolutely, unchangingly true? We don't like to deal with these absolutes in life. We're entirely willing to talk about faith as a culture and belief as a culture, but our culture has a hard time when we try to say, okay, what do we believe in? This is the thing that is true. This is the thing that is true. If you watch somebody on a daytime talk show, they can talk all day about spirituality. Our culture isn't afraid of talking about spirituality. Our culture isn't afraid about talking about what we believe. The Today Show, oftentimes the week of Easter. <laughs> I like it. I hoped you all would laugh at that. <laughs> <clears throat> They'll run this week-long thing about belief. And one year I remember watching it, and it was just a week of these huge segments saying, do you believe? And the whole thing that they were preaching there on the Today Show was, just believe in something. Believe in whatever it is, because if you believe in a, with a sincere heart, then that's enough. So when does the controversy of truth come there's controversy when someone brings up the name of Jesus. You see, you can talk about belief, and you can talk about a higher power, and you can even talk about a God. But when you start talking about Jesus, that's when the conversation gets interesting. Here's the fascinating reality there are very few people who can stand on any sort of ground and deny that Jesus existed. Historically, we know the most agnostic or atheist historian will agree there was a man, his name was Jesus, and he walked on this earth. There was somebody named Jesus in the scope of human history that left this huge fingerprint on the world. There was this person. But the question is, is he God? Also note this. Everybody loves Jesus' teachings. Everybody loves Jesus' teachings. Who doesn't like his teachings? Help the poor, love others, be generous, forgive those who hurt. His teachings are phenomenal, and if you hate his teachings, you look like a jerk in culture. Even if you hate Christianity, it's impossible to hate the teachings of Jesus. So his detractors will oftentimes say, well, we know this guy existed, and yes, he was a really good teacher, and we have a lot of moral things that we can learn from this guy Jesus, but this whole God statement, he never said that. He never claimed to be God. And the answer falls basically in the the, the 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 tension falls basically in the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ. The exclusive claim is what gets Jesus about Jesus is what gets everybody rattled up and bent out of shape. And Jesus is very direct about who he is. If you have your Bibles, or if you can read the screen. We're going to look at John chapter fourteen, verse six. Jesus is talking about eternal things, about preparing places, about going away for a time, and the disciples are going to be with him. And he's talking about eternity. And Thomas, one of his disciples, didn't know what Jesus was talking about, and he asked Jesus. He said, "How do we know where we are going? How do we know what's ahead?" Thomas asked him. And here was Jesus's response in John fourteen, verse six. Would you read it with me? Jesus told him i am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me now there it is there's the exclusive claim about jesus this is what sets jesus apart from everything else it's the exclusive claim that he is the way to the father i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and that sets christianity apart in a massive way you see you can't just take the good teachings of jesus without this exclusive claim truth you can't take the good teachings without the exclusive claim truth what you're going to have to do and once you follow through some sort of logical process is say okay If Jesus, you know, taught all these things and we should follow these good teachings, but you know, that whole exclusive thing, that can't be right, then Jesus is a lunatic because he goes around and makes these exclusive claims. You can't have one without the other. They're tied together. For who would follow the teachings of a madman? Who would follow the teachings of someone who is completely off his rocker, claiming to be God? You can't have your cake and eat it, too, in this regard. Let's talk openly for a moment about other world religions. Um, You may have been able to pick this up about me. I was homeschooled. (laughs) Does that seem obvious to her parents to anybody? Uh, One of those weird homeschooled kids. And as a part of our curriculum, we were taught a world religion studies. You see, what we were trying to be exposed to was this concept that there are other systems of belief around the world. There are other things that people hold on to, and we didn't want to be my parents, my mom, (laughs) my teacher. She got older every year, my teacher. I just had the older teacher every year. Uh, And my mom wanted me to be very well-versed in the world and understanding what people believe. And as we look at world religions, we have to acknowledge that no matter what you believe, there may be some truths in different belief systems. There are some things that are true in different belief systems. There can be beauty in different belief systems. Can we acknowledge that? That if we look at the different world religions, there can be some truth and there can be some beauty in all of them, but they're not the same as this belief system in Jesus Christ. So to give you a brief overview, I'm going to give you some high points of the major world belief systems and that all religions are not the same. There's some truth and beauty in them all, but they're not the same. For example, Buddhism. Buddhism says there is no God. There's no type of final existence. There is simply just a cycle. A cycle of rebirth. A cycle of um, reincarnation. I wasn't allowed to go to the movies as a kid. Uh, It wasn't a thing that we did in my household. And I can remember a friend having a birthday party who was wanting to go watch the movie, go to the movies. We had this little theater in Miles City, Montana, this one-screen theater. And it was a matinee showing of a movie that was marketed towards kids. And I begged my parents, please let me go. And they were like, finally they relented. And they were like, "Okay." you know, this one time, you can go to the movies. So we go to the movies, and this movie was called Fluke. It was a story of a dog, and the dog was a reincarnated person (laughs) who had died in a car accident. And I came home feeling so guilty, I was like, I know why we don't go to the movies now, Mom! Because this movie was about Buddhism! (laughs) I was sitting there just feeling like, oh my goodness, if Jesus comes back right now while I'm in this theater, I'm out of heaven. I'm not making it at all because of this movie. This cycle of reincarnation. Hinduism believes in an impersonal God. An impersonal God who doesn't relate to us in a very specific manner, but rather is approached through statues and through idols, We approach God, but very withdrawn and impersonal. This is a big pullback there. Buddhism and Hinduism don't offer forgiveness of sins or any sort of supernatural help. Rather, they're both steeped in this concept of karma. That if you input good into the world, good will come back to you. If you input bad into the world, bad will come back to you. It's popular even in our culture. There's a book that was a big deal called The Secret. Anybody ever seen that? It's got this red stamp cover on it. You know what I'm talking about? Alright, this is the concept. Put it out there into the universe. Islam. In Islam, you worship Allah, who is a personal God. There's no secondary gods, no idols, total ban on that. And the Muslim community, the Islam community, trace their heritage back to the same God that we trace our heritage back to. The God of Abraham. And your standing depends in, uh, in, in Islam upon your devotion and your works. So there are these pillars of Islam. You're supposed to do a Mecca. You're supposed to give alms. You're supposed to pray five times a day. You take this very, very, Seriously, And any devout Muslim would do these things very, very seriously. There's this New Age concept that there's not a personal God, but rather some sort of universe or cosmos that binds us all together. The previous generation, the leader of this, would have been Carl Sagan. You would have seen what he wrote and, and been inspired by that and said, you know, we are all just stardust. My generation, sort of the biggest voice in this, they would never call it a religious movement, but the biggest voice in this is a guy named Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's very interesting to listen to, very fascinating to listen to, but is essentially a disciple of Carl Sagan. Um, Very interesting. Again, he would never, if he heard me say this, uh, he would take issue with that because he he would say, no, it's not a religion. This is just uh, science or reality, and yet it is a belief system. Then we take Christianity. And Christianity has a personal God exposed to us through the love of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and it's not based on religious efforts, but it's based on God's goodness. Other major religions say, I'm the prophet of this religion and I'm here to help you get in touch with the truth. I'm here to help you find God. And Jesus comes to earth and Jesus says, I'm not here to help you find God. I am God. I am God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God, and I've not come so that I can help you find God. I am God, and I've come to find you. And what we have to acknowledge, although there may be truth and beauty in different religions, they are not all the same. So when somebody says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, an objective person has to look at this and say, number one, God never said that, and number two, I don't think that's right at all. So what I want to do today is give you some tools, both if you're wondering what does it matter what I believe, these are tools that may be able to help you, but also for those of you who may have heard this stated in the culture around you, these could be tools to help you. Tools to help you talk about Jesus. I want us to consider three things about Jesus today that help us come to an understanding about this exclusive claim that Jesus gives. And I want us to look at this objectively. I'm simply going to ask you to consider Jesus. Just consider Jesus. Here's what we've got to recognize. I'm not going to ask you to consider a church because church is not Jesus. The goal is not church. I'm not going to ask you to consider a Christian denomination. I'm not going to ask you to consider the Wesleyans today or the Methodists today or Baptists or Lutherans. I'm not even asking you to consider Christianity. Why? Well, consider the behavior of those who call themselves Christians. If we can just be real honest here for a moment, you can meet two different Christians. And one of them, you'll be like, wow, that person is loving and genuine and full of grace. And I actually think that if Christianity is right, this person might be a great representative. And then you can meet another person who calls themselves Christian. And you'd say, wow. They're narrow-minded and egotistical and hateful and judgmental and a bigoted person. And you could turn on Christian television and realize how the wig and toupee industry have stayed afloat over the past 40 years. What I'm asking you to do today is to consider is to consider Jesus, not Christianity, not religion, not the behavior of people who call themselves Christians. I'm not even you to, asking you to consider who I am or who your parents are, or who your grandparents are, throw all that out the window just for a moment and consider Jesus. And then make a decision about what is actually true. So let's look at three aspects of Jesus today. And if you're taking notes, I'm first going to ask you to consider the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 2, and this summarizes why Jesus came. Read it with me. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? No really righteous person would eat with these kind of people. They were the scum of the earth. They were too dirty. They were too filthy. They were too full of sin. And on hearing this, this question that was murmured against Jesus, on hearing this, Jesus asked back this question he said is it not the healthy it is not the healthy who need a doctor who needs a doctor somebody who's sick so look at verse 17 when jesus heard this he told them healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do i've come not to those who think they are righteous but to those who know they are sinners i've come for the people who know i'm messed up I've not come to call the righteous. I came for sinners. He came for people like you and people like me who can't seem to get it right. So think about Jesus for a moment. To those whom others despised, Jesus loved and Jesus accepted. To those that religion had rejected, Jesus loved and reached out. To a woman in adultery, to the demon-possessed, he hung out with this guy named Judas. Judas! Consider the ministry of Jesus and who He was and what He did. Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused the mute to speak. He touched lepers, people who were untouchable in the culture around Him that no one would get near to, who had been away from their family and loved ones and nobody had reached out with that physical touch of acceptance in their lives. Jesus turned water into wine, which is still a problem for us Wesleyans today. But Jesus did it. And Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes to feed 5000 men and thousands of women and children out on a hillside. Jesus walked on water. He raised the dead. And here's what's crazy. Jesus's critics didn't <laughs> Jesus's critics didn't question the validity of his miracles. They just wanted him to quit it. They didn't wonder if this was really happening. They weren't walking around and saying, wow, did you really do that? Is this some sort of magic trick? We saw the guy who used to not be able to walk and now he's walking around. You know, what hijinks are you pulling here? That's not what they were worried about. What they were worried about was stop it, Jesus. So consider the ministry of Jesus for a moment. The reality is that some of us in this room today, you're a miracle of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has touched your life and made you something different. He ministered to you and you are a new creation. There's no better, ver- not a better version of what we used to be. He makes us new. New creations. Not a polished up version of something that was messed up, but something brand new. If you are that, you are a new me, a different person. The old is gone, the new has come. Consider the ministry of Jesus. I also want to ask you to consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, what you need to understand is that God loves you, but God hates sin. He hates sin, and that's why Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who didn't have the sin nature of an earthly father... He was without sin. And that's why He could go to the cross and He could bear the burden of sin for us. And I don't want you to miss the power of this moment. On the cross, all of creation was mocking Him. Creation mocking the Creator. And at that moment, when the thought, the worst was done, when Jesus had been beaten to the point where He was unrecognizable, when they had driven stakes through His wrist and through His heels, when they were hanging Him on an instrument of torture, Jesus looks up to God and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Then He says, it is finished. It is completed. I did it. And into Your hands I commit My spirit. Then the Bible tells us that at that part, the earth went dark and trembled. And the centurion, who had helped carry the cross of Jesus, who was a Roman soldier, not a believer, looked at this man dead on the cross and said, surely that man was the Son of God. And three days later, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty, and Jesus was not there. And we believe, Christians believe, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Peter said it this way in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Read it with me. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Don't miss this. God raised Jesus from the dead, then what? And we are witnesses of this fact. This is so important that there were witnesses that Jesus was not dead and that he was actually alive again. There were witnesses of this. Now listen, skeptics and critics will say that, well, the Roman soldiers probably stole the body of Jesus. Listen, the enemies of Jesus Christ would have loved nothing more than to have produced the dead body of Jesus Christ to put to, to an end this statement that Jesus was alive. So that goes out the door immediately. Some people will say, well, the disciples took the body and they hid it. And then they started sharing this false news that Jesus was alive again. So what you're going to tell me then is that a bunch of farmers and fishermen overpowered Roman soldiers who were guarding a tomb. Okay, you'd still have the testimony of the Roman guards who would say that these guys took it. And if you believe that, you have to ask yourself this. Do you really expect any rational person to believe that 11 small-town, uneducated, average men devised the most elaborate scheme in the history of the world, pulled it off, kept it a secret, with no personal motives, and only the extreme personal loss that came with it? All but one of those disciples died for what they believed, that Jesus was alive. I guarantee you, if we wanted to make up a story that Matthew T.G. was dead, and then he came back to life, and I picked 11 of you, who would say, I'll go along with that, and you really said, I well, let's do this. Let's pull the biggest scam in history. I guarantee you that if 11 of you were tortured to the point of death, somebody's going to crack. <laughs> right? Somebody's going to crack. But these guys believed it to that point. Women at the tomb. In culture, the testimony of a woman didn't count. You couldn't be called in to give testimony. And yet the biblical authors put women as the first people who see the resurrected Jesus. There is no reason for that culturally. No reason other than that's how it happened. There was one who doubted Jesus had been raised to life. What's that guy's name? You know, doubting Poor Thomas. What a legacy this poor guy has, right? Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas. Thomas, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it, Thomas says. I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my fingers in the nail prints and I can put my hand at his side. Thomas, the skeptic, died for what he saw, the resurrected Jesus. Thomas becomes an evangelist to India. And when they asked Thomas to renounce his faith in his Savior Jesus, Thomas, who once was a doubter, said, "I will never renounce my Savior." And so they drove a spear through Thomas's body. Now, why would he die for his faith when he once doubted? Because he saw something special. He saw the resurrected Jesus. This is an icon. Um, Icons are a big deal in the Catholic Church, but this is an icon of the twelve apostles. And again, all but one, John, who was martyred as an exile on an island, all but one of them were killed for what they believed. Consider this. Jesus had siblings. You see, Mary and Joseph, uh, it didn't stop with Jesus. There were others, other children. One of those children's name is James. And James, there's a book of James in the Bible. James is the brother of Jesus. And James was not a believer. And then all of a sudden, James was a believer. How hard would it be for you, who here has an older brother, how hard would it be for you to believe that your older brother was Jesus, was God? What would it take for you to believe that your older brother was God? What would it take? <laughs> A lot, right? I mean, could you ever could pull that one up? Would you ever be able to believe that? And here, Jesus' little brother, James, believes that Jesus is God. What would it take? Finally, I want to ask you to consider the eternal message of Jesus. The eternal message of Jesus. Paul summarizes this in Romans chapter 3. Here's what he says. Read with me. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. Then He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for the people. First in, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life shedding His blood. He says we are made right with God by placing our faith where? In Jesus we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this means we are made right with God by believing, by having faith in Jesus. And this is crazy powerful. And it is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This statement, we are very familiar with the next verse, for everyone is sin and falling short of God's glorious standard. We're very familiar with Romans 3.23. But I love Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That means no matter what you've done, no matter how dark your life is, no matter how bad, you may be or how good you may be no matter how many sins you've committed no matter how messed up your life is right now no matter how much you've hated christians before no matter how angry or bitter you are in your heart no matter how dark your world is anyone 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 who places their faith in jesus can be made new how are we made right with god we are made right with God by believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord. And this is true for everyone, no matter who they are. That was the point to say amen. Okay. See, it doesn't count if I have to tell you to do it. You see, Christianity really is Christ plus nothing. At the essence of what Christianity is, Christianity is Jesus Christ and nothing else. Not Christ plus good works or Christ plus baptism or Christ plus church membership or Christ plus giving money in the offering plate. It is Christ and nothing else. It's not only Christ plus nothing else, but it's also not Christ plus getting rid of stuff. It's not Christ plus stopping having bad thoughts. It's not Christ plus anything. It is Christ alone who gives us the hope of eternity. It is in Christ alone that we are made new. It is in Christ alone that we are forgiven of our sins. It is in Christ alone that the old is gone and the new has come. It is in Christ alone that we are made the truest essence of who we were intended to be. Here's the problem with religion. The religion is all about us. Religion is about me, how I perform, what I do. Am I good enough? Am I doing the right things? Am I saying the right things? Religion is about me. And we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus. Okay, you guys are getting it. I heard two right there. (laughs) Jesus did not come to create a religion. He came to show us the love of God. And while religion is about me, relationship is about Jesus and all about him. Religion says, if I'm good enough, then God will love me. If I obey God, then God will accept me. And relationship says, because God loves me, He already accepts me. Because God loves me, He already accepts me. Yes, there's obedience, but that's as a reaction to God's love, not as an effort to gain God's love, because He already accepts you just the way you are. It's not an effort to gain his love. It's a response to his eternal love that there was, it was there all the time. You see, God doesn't love you because of what you do. God loves you because of who he is. God doesn't love you because of who you are. God loves you because of who he is. Love is just not what God does. Love is who God is. God is love. And there is nothing that you can do to get God to love you more And there is nothing that you can do to get God to love you net less. You can't make God love you more. And you can't make God love you less because God loves you. That's who He is. Why is it not a religion? Why is it Jesus plus nothing? I want you to pull out your notes and if you only write down one thing, write this down. D-O. Write that down. D-O. Religion is spelled D-O, do. Religion is about what you do. Relationship is spelled D-O-N-E. It is done. It is finished. On the cross, Jesus said, I came to do what the Father sent me to do. It is finished. You may want to add something, but God says it's already done. You may want to try and be better, but God says it's already done. You may want to add good works to it so that God will love you, but God says the good work is already done. 2,000 years ago, God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was without sin and became sin, and died on the cross, and on the third day He was raised from the dead, and when you believe in Him, it doesn't matter who you are, or it doesn't matter how bad you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, because God steps in and says, it is finished. I have completed this relationship. It is done. And God loves us so much that He finished the work through Jesus Christ. And some of you are going to say, okay, now that's just too good to be true that's just too good to be true there's no way that i can do nothing and just believe that jesus loves me and all of a sudden the work is done that's too good to be true no person could make up that kind of thing that's why it's called the good news of the gospel because we couldn't have come up with this idea ourselves we couldn't have made this happen but god did it's good news and jesus said i am the way I am the truth I am the life and no one comes to the father except through me God says it is done and if you believe in Jesus it is done in you it is settled in you and you can become new let's have our worship team come up to the front (laughs) I'm just excited this morning (laughs) I can't stop because we're talking about Jesus We're talking about Jesus. And we're going to sing and we're going to worship Jesus. But I want to just be sure that your hearts are where they need to be. You may have been pulling away from Jesus Christ. You may have been thinking that Jesus was about what your parents said Jesus was about. Or Jesus was about what that Christian who messed you up in a real bad way because of something they said or did to you, that that was who Jesus is. That's not right Jesus is the way, and Jesus made a way for you. Consider his ministry. Consider his resurrection. Consider his love. Consider a relationship. Can you do that today? Let's sing a song. I don't know what to do, I don't know which way to go. Let's sing a song, then we'll pray. And I'm going to be looking for a response at the end, so get ready, okay? Let's stand and sing a song.